0: Content warning. This episode contains a discussion of a scene that features insensitive ethnic stereotypes. If this topic is triggering to you, there are timestamps in the episode description to skip over this section as needed. Enjoy the show! many licks does it take to get to the center of podcast? A one? A two? A three? Welcome to Recommended Reading with Jackson Heyman, the sweetest podcast this end of the candy aisle. We're here to snicker at one of my personal favorite Reese's Pieces of Comic Adaptation, Holy Musical Batman. My name is Jackson Heyman, and I'm joined by a very dear friend as a guest, but are they a sweet tart? Or are they a shocker? It's Lainey Ennis.
1: Oh, my God! That was brilliant. Like snaps all around.
0: I have God. to give I have to give credit to my ghostwriter, um one Cena Bowles, um the third member of this little trio who is not here for this episode. My God, you
1: both of you geniuses. That was brilliant. Anyways, um, I would like to consider myself a Laffy Taffy in that I'm not very substantial, but I do have bad puns written all over me. (laughs) And the banana flavor is made with goat piss, as as am I.
0: Wait, wait, it's made with goat piss?
1: I think, maybe that was like an urban legend when I was a kid. I don't know, I spew misinformation.
0: Well, I mean, I don't like the banana flavor at anything, so... That might be
1: right. Or maybe it's sweat glands. I don't know. Don't fact check me. Just believe me.
0: I'm Googling Laffy Taffy, Laffy Taffy goat piss. It's a new flavor. I'm not getting anything.
1: Interesting. Hmm. Maybe it's beavers. Try beavers.
0: I'm not going to look up Laffy Taffy beaver piss. (laughs) I can't.
1: Sorry. Anyways, the reason why we're talking about candy um, is because of the antagonist in the great piece of modern art called Holy Musical Batman. It is spelt with the at symbol, and this is maybe one of the best musical adaptations of a comic book ever.
0: Absolutely. It is one of, I believe, six comic book music musical adaptations that exist right now, um, no or at least... Six that I know of, and they will all be covered on this podcast once a year. Sweeping declaration. You get one a year. Welcome this to year's the first. Coming... What was that? Welcome to the first. Welcome to the first. Um, if I will, re- I will read them all off right now. You have this, Holy Musical Batman. You have the Batman musical that never existed, that was co-written by... Meatloaf's co-writer Jim Steinman, and you can listen to all the demos on his website. You have Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, obviously. Naturally. You have, you have the weird ass, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman musical. But holy musical Batman. Um, it was written by Nick and Matt Lang with music by Nick Gage and Scott Lamps, lyrics by Nick Gage, directed by the Lang brothers. Um, I have the other production credits here. Um Choreography by Katie Spellman, scenic design by Corey Lubowich, costume design by June Saito, and lighting design by Sarah Petty. This is all for the Chicago production, the only production that exists right now, which featured a cast of... Uh, lady, you have the Wikipedia page open. Do you want to read off the cast?
1: I would be honored to... Uh, we got Batman by Joe Walker. We have Superman played by Brian Holden. Alfred Pennyworth, who also plays Two Face, along with a ton of other like semi-sketchy uh, Alfreds in disguise, quote unquote, uh, played uh, by. We'll Greg get to Allen. that. We, have, we'll to, to we that. have
0: to bring that up.
1: Yeah, Robin. Uh, at all. all, all these are at all. They play a lot of characters, but this is like the main character they play. Robin's Nick Lang, Sweet Tooth, played by Jeff Blim. Scarecrow Green Lantern by Dylan Saunders, Commissioner Gordon, Laura Lauren Lopez, who is just like truly an iconic figure in Starkid. Uh The Penguin by Nicholas Joseph Strauss Hyphen. Oh boy, I'm blind. Mattathea, I'm uh, Nicholas, I'm so sorry if you're listening. Candy at slash poison ivy, played by Jamie Lynn Beatty. We got Mr. Freeze, Jim Pavlov, Sherlock Holmes, Nick Ager, Vicky Vale, slash Evil Mother Goose by Julia Albang, Catwoman, Denise Donovan, and the Riddler, Meredith Stipen. And that's yeah. the credits, and that's the podcast. We're gonna end there.
0: That's the podcast. We're not We're not going to talk about this. It's, we're ju- we were just here to tell you to watch it. Go watch it. It's. Go
1: watch it. It's on
0: YouTube. It's free. It's like it's 2 It's free on YouTube. You literally have no excuse.
1: It is what I feel about this. It's Star Kid, which is like a huge production company that does these indie, really cool, unique concept parody um, plays. You probably recognize A Very Potter Musical, which is pretty famous, in my opinion. Uh, there's also some other ones that they've done they've done like an aladdin one called twisted they have one that's about like early cavemen there's one that's about like being on the trail there's like all sorts of fun uh the organ trail excuse me uh there's all sorts of really fun little concepts like that this is their take at like batman comics as a whole it definitely reads to me personally like an improv comedy like musical like i feel like this is something that i could watch at like UCB on a Thursday night. Um, but it is like fully produced and choreographed and like a lot of thought and effort was put into it, but it gives me the energy of an improv musical.
0: Well, I I believe a lot of these folks are also veterans of the Chicago improv scene. Oh, so yeah. So you can tell um it's very comedy focused, but I also feel like if you gave the Lang brothers like fully authorized creative control over Warner Brothers next Batman film, I think this is the story they'd still tell.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like this is this this story is like such a unique perspective on Batman as a whole because it is like it's taking a lot of elements from like the classic Batman stories and then just kind of extrapolating on it. And it's very much based in like the Adam West Batman style where, cause like the title itself is a reference to like the Robin phrases of like, Holy smokes, Batman, Holy bananas, Batman, you know, that sort of thing, but it's Holy musical Batman. Um, what,
0: is, what is the context that Robin would have said, Holy bananas, Batman in pitch that for me. Pitch it okay. right now.
1: Um, well, it's really easy. Uh, we have, uh, probably Poison Ivy, uh, intercepting a massive cocaine deal from Columbia coming up to Gotham and she replaces it with bananas. And he says, holy bananas, Batman. I don't know. I don't get paid money to do this. That's true. I'm not a pitcher.
0: That's true. I'm I just going to critique
1: musicals. That was a bad dis- bad
0: idea. I'm sorry. What, um, is the,
1: what is the gorilla? There's a gorilla. Is it Grodd? Is that who I'm thinking of?
0: Grodd? Yeah. Grodd, 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 Grodd exists. Yeah. The
1: brain and then... Mr. Malah. <gasps> Mr. Malah. Okay, new pitch. Mr. Malah fighting him. There's a ton of bananas involved in which case someone tries to pull out a gun and it's actually a banana. And then Robin's like, Holy banana Batman. And that's how that goes. No, he tries to pull out the battering. I'm so sorry. This is going nowhere.
0: This is going, this is a bit that goes nowhere. Um, what is this musical about? It's about Batman. Um, he's lonely. Um, he needs a friend. He finds Robin. They become best friends. The world hates Robin. Sweet Tooth, the candy-themed villain, steps in and tries to destroy the city. Batman needs to accept others and understand that friendship, and understand the value of friendship.
1: Yeah, it's all about friends. It's all about being lonely. Also, something notable is that he like kills Joker in like the first ten minutes.
0: Like it's like Joker. super early on. Kills Joker in the first song. Kills literally. Joker- Kills Joker, end of the first song. Joker is never seen on stage. Joker is given an offstage death. Deserved. Truly, comics, Bruce, could never. Honestly, I think it was the right choice to kill off the Joker.
1: Otherwise, it would have been focused on that. And I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere down the line, someone is going to make a Joker musical based off of the film from 2019. But...
0: You know, Joker Two is a musical, right? We,
1: but I mean, like a live action, not not. Sorry, oh, okay. <laughs> I was about to implying it's an animated thing, like like a like a theatrical performance of it.
0: Okay, yeah, I yeah, it's a it's a jukebox musical with all the 70s songs that were in Joker. Yeah, <laughs> you get it. That's the worst thing I ever could imagine seeing on stage. I don't want to see that.
1: I mean, like the second Joker movie is called Full Ado, which is like. The, t- the same name of the fallout boy album so i'm really rooting for that to be a jukebox musical you
0: think it's gonna be a fallout boy jukebox musical
1: i can pray i think
0: fuck what's his name
1: joaquin phoenix
0: no it's not chad kroger chad kroger's nickelback um patrick stump patrick stump yes think he's gonna allow that i hope he would that would be really fun Who's Pete Wentz? Why am
1: I thinking of Pete Wentz? He's involved. Don't quote me on that. I'm not, I'm out of qu- touch with my emo phase. I think I've forcibly repressed a lot of it. So Listeners,
0: who's Pete Wentz?
1: I feel like I want to say Blink-182. This is going to be so terrible. Someone is listening if we keep this and kicking themselves. Pete Wentz. Yeah, Fall Boy. You're okay. right. Okay. No, you, you're right.
0: I've never listen to fall out boy i don't think
1: okay. that's fair that's really fair we well, you know <laughs> that's
0: that's not true
1: anyways the music in this musical is like super fun it is all very 80s synth inspired um and so it has this like super jaunty upbeat feel and but there's also like really like really strong ballads in it
0: like um but what is they're, the, they're full on power ballads yeah they're, They're not, like, standard musical theater ballads. They are, like... It's all synth pop, and it's beautiful.
1: Absolutely. I mean, like, Rogues Are We is one of my favorite songs, possibly ever. Like, from, like, any sort of musical like this, it's so fun. It's such a fun little snippets of all the Rogue gallery. They all get a little note, little line or two. It's a catwoman almost says pussy.
0: It's phenomenal. It's a beautiful villain song. Uh, Mr. Freeze is just standing there while everyone else is dancing. It's it's, it's great. A uh, dark, sad, lonely night is beautiful. It has the ending section where everyone gets to fucking eat it and it's beautiful.
1: Real. And also, it's just, like, it's super low the whole time, like, in a really deep register. It's like, I want to be somebody's, somebody's buddy. buddy. You know, it sounds so, like, Elvis-ish. I just, like, truly, that one gets stuck in my head all the time, especially since I rewatched it for this episode. Like, truly, it's just, like, these really deep beats. But I truly think the sta- the standout star of Holy Musical Batman is, in fact, the dynamic duet.
0: Oh, we have to talk about the dynamic duet, and I think we can use this to segue into our big conversation about Robin to start out with. Yes. What is the dynamic duet?
1: The dynamic duet is a song in between Batman and Robin, and it is the Dick Grayson Robin. Uh, It's very much inspired, again, by the Burt Reynolds Batman. I'm Uh, sorry, uh, Burt Reynolds? (laughs) Fuck you. Burt Reynolds? (laughs) I just said that with so much confidence, too, is the worst part. I just said that so comfortably, so confidently. Burt Ward, Bat- Burt Reynolds? <laughs> Wait, someone pitched me a Burt, Burt Reynolds Batman, but we'll come back to that. Adam West- oh, and Someone
0: pitched me a Burt Reynolds Robin. I want to see that.
1: Well, Burt Ward played Robin in the 60s. I forgot his name for a whole moment there. Yeah, okay, so- Adam West, Burt Ward, that's kind of the vibe they're going for. Um, and it's this, this duet about uh, he, they're both lonely and they're both alone and sad. And they realize, oh my gosh, we're both lonely. We can be friends together. And it's about them finding unity. And it's super choreographed and phenomenal. And a little bit like, it's very much leading into those tropes from that time where it was like, huh, is Batman sleeping with Robin? Because that is like where that question came from in that 1960s thing yep. um but uh that's kind of the vibe it's going for as well
0: and the synths coming in with this it's beautiful and it works and there's fight scenes that double his dance numbers and everything works they have
1: a secret handshake
0: which is really good they have um, a secret- it's also not super clear how old he is how old do we think this Robin is?
1: I don't know. Like, truly, it's like, this is, it's very clearly played by an adult man. But it also is, like, the personality of, like, a 12-year-old. But it could be also, like, a 20-year-old. And it's just, it's so all over the place. It's just the Schrodinger's Robin.
0: You don't know his age. Can I, can I also pause the question, what year is it in the universe of Holy Musical Batman?
1: Time isn't real. That isn't is a i from this musical cuz it is 60s aesthetics mixed with modern day references barack obama is present
0: barack um, obama is a character the um new character it's having Indian music having twitter followers is a semi major plot point true um but alfred does say it's the year 1997
1: it is an anachronistic mess and but it's I- beautiful Exactly. I think that's the point of it, right? Is that yeah. it doesn't have a time. It is a timeless, perfect piece of media that can transcend any date that you want to put it on. It can be 1920s with those weird mobsters at an opening number, right? It can be 90s pizza delivery. You know, there's, it's all over the place. We can really put whatever
0: time frame we want on this piece. It, it celebrates Batman in all of his aesthetics, I would say. Yeah. Because, because, um, you have Joe Walker playing a Batman that is a direct response, I think, to Christian Bale. Um, this is, this is, this premieres, I think, about three months before The Dark Knight Rises. So, everyone is on, like, Bale Batman fever. Like, every aspect of fandom thinks Christian Bale is the best Batman and leaning into the dark and gritty realism aesthetic is has become had become the accepted norm for Batman at the time Mm -hmm. and what this musical does is it takes dark gritty Christian Bale Frank Miller Batman and puts him in a world of the fifties and sixties aesthetic.
1: I would even argue that it's not just the fifties and sixties aesthetic. I think you're leaning. Yeah. It is definitely the Adam West sort of like even golden age Batman is like tapped into at points. But I also think it is very much the George Clooney Batman as well. In style, (laughs) like, especially with the villains, like the rogue stuff really is reminiscent of like, reminiscent of like Tim Burton, Batman. Um, yeah. not the costuming his nipples are not super noticeable
0: there are no defined nipples no defined however, nipples. however however everyone's for- in tidy whities
1: yes they are that is super important to mention actually everyone is wearing their cute little underwear and they're dancing around and batman has a giant plastic plane that he uses and that is one of my favorite like the costuming in this show
0: i'm not sure if we're ready to move on to that yet but it is phenomenal we're just we're just going all in with like aesthetics. I think all of the aesthetics here like serve to highlight how much of a man child some interpretations of Batman can be. Yes. Especially like Frank Miller, Jeff Lowe, Batman who works alone, lives in his mansion, and doesn't really socialize with anyone else.
1: Exactly. I would love to see like a modern day version of this that would tap into, like, the Rob Patterson, like, Batman, you know what I mean? Like, talking a little bit more about the whole, like, like, really angsty black eyeliner sort of situation.
0: I have a thought for the end of the episode, but I'm saving it till then. I am so thrilled. Everyone stay tuned. Um, but yeah, like, leaning back into the Schumacher, the Clooney Batman stuff, like, it is... Absolutely, with the villains, they mentioned this very early on in the show, all of Batman's villains are different guys in suits with different things on their heads making puns about whatever theme they are. And that is all you get from the villains here, but it works.
1: It absolutely does. I wouldn't want anything more, to be honest with you. I think it would get too messy if they tried to make it, like, there's a hundred villains, and, like, they're all working together in any sort of, like, cohesive big way. I really liked how they used the antagonist in this of Candyman. I think that is just, like, super effective of a character. And the, ca- the costume design is so fun and, like, vibrant.
0: Yes. Because um, you get... You, explaining who all these villains are would be too much. You don't need to know their backstories. You don't need to know the lore. All you need to know is who they are and what theme they've based their supervillain persona around.
1: Exactly. And that's all Sweet Tooth is. I realize I've been calling him Candyman. That's just who he is in my head.
0: He sings the song at one point. Yeah. But of the villains, I think my favorite has to be uh, Two-Face. Say more. They handle Two-Face very... If you, if you try to adapt Harvey Dent, you need so much setup into who he is and his mental illnesses and everything that has made him a horribly broken person. But if you just go about it with the Two-Face angle, he is just a guy who really likes the number two. And I think it is the stupidest take on Two-Face. But making him that stupid works so well for my little brain being like, oh, haha, when he makes a pun of funky little baseline plays, I love it.
1: Yeah, like, I think truly, I'm really glad that these are just these one dimensional depictions of these super complicated, like, three dimensional fleshed out characters in comics. But now they're, like, these super across the board, no matter who it is, if it's the villains, if it's, like, Superman, if it's, like, Batman, it's these one-dimensional versions of themselves. But not one-dimensional in a bad way. I don't want to say that in, like, a derogatory sense. I think it's really good that they're kind of, like, these base, raw understandings of these characters. And, like, coming back to what you're saying, they're coming straight off of the Christian Bale Batman. Mm-hmm. So it's talking a lot about, like, how people perceive these characters more so. Yeah. Than like who they are in the comics. So it's more like the pop culture interpretation of each of the
0: characters, which I think is really cool. I I like that it doesn't try to make this a direct comics adaptation. It it specifically sticks on like public perceptions of who Batman is, what his universe is like, and what we what we as a society like about Batman.
1: It would be really funny if they did try to do, like, a really dramatic retelling of, like, The Killing Joke or something like that.
0: They just got really into it. They just got, they, they adapt, like, No Man's Land or something. Holy! Really? <laughs> but they do bring in some deep cuts. There are deep cut references. Did I originally going into this expect that I would get a Solomon Grundy name drop? No, but you do superman's fighting him it was like okay what a pull what a pull you get solomon Grundy. you get mr Mix pitlick um (laughs) in the very ending number super friends the entire cast comes out dressed as various dc characters and you get zatanna you get green arrow you get plastic man you also get spider man for some reason spider man's here and i love it he's just toxic spider man is here You get Jim Povolo flying across the stage dressed in the stupidest Hawkman costume. So true. And it works. It's deep cuts without really needing to explain the deep cut.
1: Yeah. I think it's just like, honestly, this entire musical gives me the same energy of the best Batman adaptation, which is the Lego Batman and it just truly it gives that same degree of like oh i understand the story i know what's happening even if i don't know a lot about comics but it still has those little seeds of like if you do know you know
0: would you believe that i can't believe that this predates both batman versus superman and the lego batman movie and yet Stop. both are de- pretty much heavily inspired by what this sets up
1: You know, something that I really think that they could go out and do, I think that the people who, Warner Brothers, I'm assuming, made those movies, I think that they could put out a little cease and desist to this 2008 adaptation. Because, um, this is like full... Wait, no, sorry. Let me rephrase that. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that if we think about it, this musical inspired both Batman v Superman and the Lego Batman movie it laid down the foundational work
0: yeah it laid it laid down the foundational work and i do think there were like there are especially in Lego Batman movie which leans more into the comedy um the the dick like people making fun of Dick Grayson's name yeah that is a constant in both um Thankfully, Lego Batman movie doesn't steal one of my favorite lines from this, which is, uh, can I be frank with you? Well, sure, Frank, if you prefer it to Dick. That's so good. It's such a good, li- we should transition into the, into what Robin stands for in this, yes. in this musical. Um, we get introduced to Robin. He is very much pre-Crisis Pre Nightwing Dick Grayson, if you would agree with me, there it is very. I totally agree. It's if it, it's very Burt Ward inspired, but it's it's visually also early, early first appearance Robin. Mm-hmm. And I, as I was telling you um, off mic, um, I will now forever read pre Crisis Dick Grayson with Nick Lang's Robin voice because. That just sounds how I think early Robin acts and behaves. Yeah.
1: He's very childish. He has these like very like childlike wonder to him, even though he's sad, even though his parents are dead. It's just like he it's interesting because he acts as such a like like the, the whole the whole play is about like friendship and Bruce finding friendship. And this is like the first real friend he makes. Um, And it's also ironic because this is fully a child and it's the first, like, identity that he's connecting with. In my humble opinion, I do not care about Batman in a vacuum. I only care about him with his connections to others. So, like, that's something I just love about this play is that it's so much focused on the fact that he has these connections to other people.
0: I I have to agree with you there. Like, we've covered solo Batman stories on this podcast, which I have admitted that I like. But I don't care for a lot of them. I would much rather see Batman working with people and learning to open up to others than just another take on a solo detective story.
1: Exactly. We've seen the gumshoe. We've seen it through and through, and I think like film especially has a really hard time of like picking up him interacting with people, especially in the last like twenty or thirty years. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, all we have to speak for that is Batman v Superman and Justice League, but like beyond that, all the other Batman solo films are truly solo films.
0: Yes, uh, Patrick H- Patrick H. Willems has this really good video essay that he put out um, a couple months ago, right as the the new, the Batman was coming out, and he really, he, he really dives deep into the fact that, like you were saying, for, uh, Justice League, that arc of Batman learning to open up and accept others, that was less a character development and more just plot contrivance, but we haven't seen a Batman open himself up to a Robin or Another Bat family member literally since Batman for Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. It is it has been almost three decades since we've seen that relationship explored, and everyone hates those movies. Which sucks. I think they're great. I I have learned to accept the camp and the and the sheer stupidity of those movies
1: that's also what this play is is like you need to accept that it is a little goofy and it's camp and it's a little corny and it they're leaning into it and it looks good because they're leaning into it
0: yes they're not it's not like the MCU where some corny some campy thing from the comics will get introduced and somebody makes a joke or an eye roll or something it's not that's not what you're gonna see here you are going to see genuine response to the campiness of early comics. Exactly. And I think that's what Robin here represents. And the character's response to Robin, where they all hate him, but... Robin make Batman happy, to quote the musical. Exactly. Would you you rather accept this stranger weirder sillier part of the character if it means for it or leave him alone and moody and dark and gritty and never changing
1: exactly that's what it comes down to is that it's just such a static batman one that's alone one that's isolated like that He doesn't have the terms, the time to growth, the time to develop, grow or develop that he would when he's interacting with others. And I think that the play like really pushes that. I keep saying play like it's like fucking Shakespeare. This is a musical.
0: (laughs) Um, This is an Ibsen. This is
1: real. (laughs) This is Waiting for Godot 2, but it's just Batman sitting on a bench. Honestly, um,
0: I think this podcast is waiting for Godot too. It's, it's waiting for Sweet Tooth.
1: It's for Sweet
0: Tooth. We are waiting for Sweet Tooth. We'll get to him.
1: Um, but I think no, the
0: audience has been waiting for Sweet Tooth enough. Oh, um,
1: God. Yeah, I know. You gave such a, like, a killer
0: entrance. Um, um, do you have anything else to talk about, to mention about Robin right now? I
1: uh, Yeah, I do. The but it's a good segue into Sweet Tooth is that a big portion of the second act is that he's put in danger to quite literally parallel the danger Jason Todd is put into. Yes, like fully the absolute disrespect to me personally, someone who loves that comic. Um insane, insane. Uh to to make it clear. Sweet Tooth attempts to throw Robin in a vat of boiling hot chocolate, which is very much intended to, like, mirror the death in the family sort of line that went on in comics, uh, specifically where, spoilers, Jason Todd dies. And it happened because the people were able to call in to vote, and it was based off of a fucking SNL skit of all things, where goddamn Eddie Murphy... He was playing a lobster and they're trying to like decide if they're going to boil the lobster on air and they're like calling to decide. And then they did that with a fucking Robin. Anyways, I can talk about that for hours, but they do that in this musical, but it's with Dick Grayson and it's chocolate.
0: They set up a Facebook poll to, or yeah, Sweet Tooth sets up a Facebook poll to murder Robin or not drop a nuclear warhead in the city. And into the city's water supply and it definitely mirrors the call in if you want jason todd to die poll that was actually run by dc comics in the 1980s do you think the langs knew about that they had to right i feel like that's one of those deep cut things where it's like It works if it wasn't a direct reference, but if it is a direct reference, oh my god, it hits.
1: Yeah, and the thing is is that, like, the thing that always kills me about it is it was 72 votes. That was the margin. It was
0: 72 votes for him to die. To kill Jason Todd? Yes. It was a 72 vote margin? Yes! (laughs) Yes! Can so, we, anyways,
1: it's really we, nice in this musical where everyone decides Robin's really cool, so we're gonna save him. Spoilers. Um, but yeah.
0: Can we I, I'm sorry, I'm still hung up on this 72 votes thing. 72
1: votes. I'm convinced that like my grandchildren got like a time machine to go back in time to make sure that he loses just so I can be this irate about it.
0: Cause is what it, the fuck? What is the it fuck? Is it too late to do, like, a 2000 election recount and and meticulously go through everyone who called?
1: Stop, we're going to do a hanging chads. There were multiple calls that it wasn't clear what they selected. We're going to hanging chad the Jason Todd poll? Honestly, uh, stop the vote. I demand a recount. Let's
0: move into Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth, played by Jeff Blim, is very much a joker type but not exactly like we said it he very leans into the making puns about his theme and being evil and that's all you know about the character and that's all you need to know because sweet tooth is just one of many villains that will continue forever to try and murder Batman. Wait, no, he won't because he's dead. He, he dies in the vat of boiling hot chocolate.
1: We've all been there. And I mean, if Jason Todd can walk out, so can Sweet Tooth.
0: You know what I mean? Red hood, but candy.
1: Whoa, it's like a red, red hot. hot. Red hot. We are on the same wavelength.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Brilliant. Only Musical Batman 2 is going to involve a Lazarus Pit. They're never making a Holy Musical Batman 2, but it would involve a Lazarus Pit.
1: Not with that attitude, they aren't. Joe Walker quit acting. Allegedly. Sorry, he definitely did. I can't keep spreading misinformation he, like He this. definitely did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: He definitely did.
1: God, that's funny. Sweet Tooth's, like, costume is so fun. And also, I love that they picked, like, such a D-list villain. To be, like, the main antagonist.
0: Is... Okay, what I need to know, is Sweet Tooth a real Batman villain? He is.
1: He goes way, way back, though, and again, D-list, like, below Calendar Man D-list.
0: That's what he looks like? You see the little fat guy? Yeah. Yeah. He's got a lollipop.
1: He's got a little lollipop.
0: Well, some of these are just Jeff Blim, but... This just looks like... Is this going to be too much of a deep cut? Do, does anyone, Has anyone seen The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy? Absolutely. But, specific, but specifically the episode where, like, Billy starts selling the chocolate bars and turns into chocolate, and then there's the chocolate sailor guy.
1: <gasps> no, I'm right there
0: with you. He looks like that. That's what Sweet Tooth looks like. Absolutely. He looks like a little sailor boy.
1: He really does, yeah. He's apparently like he has truly like like cameo references in Batman and the Bold cameo line in like Arkham Knight, the video game. Like it's truly just crumbs of this candy dude everywhere. But he became like he's really known from this, which it says a lot. Like Did super you beyond view
0: attention. What from the Batman fandom wiki. He uses children as henchmen who enjoy his gluttonous need for candy. Huh. Yeah.
1: He's a a good villain in this, though. Like, he's just, it's very fun. It's very campy. It's very, I'm going to bomb the water supply type of thing. He has some good little tunes with the uh, rogues. It's just a real good time. He's a fun villain, in my opinion. I think Joker should be more like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah more Joker interpretation should lean into the fun of, wh- of what the Joker really is. Like, the, the, fun, the fun in causing chaos. Yes. How he's willing to do horrible things, but does them with a smile. Mm-hmm. That is so much more interesting to me than society. So true. Say that. I should also mention that whenever Sweet Tooth makes a candy pun, he pulls out the candy from his suit.
1: What do you think their candy budget was?
0: Hey, Lang Brothers, um, what was your candy budget? Tell us. Probably 20 bucks. Being being really generous here. What was it? This was, they were in Chicago in 2012. You could go to like a 7-Eleven and probably get all of these. Yeah. The question is, do you think the, the puns in the script came first? Or did they find all these candies and then write the puns around them?
1: Script puns came first.
0: Probably. And then they found them. Yeah. Because, like, like some good. of these are kind of deep-cut candies. Right? Well, like, one of, well, one of his first lines is, uh, quit your snickering, you airheads. And I just think about that so much.
1: It's good. It's good. I think more people should carry around, like, props for their puns. Honestly, yeah. Like, like think it out a little further, you know what I mean? Do a
0: little like, planning. Commit to the bit. Exactly. But Sweet Tooth, for as funny as he is, is very. Is still a very threatening villain, I would you agree? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's not... In terms of, like... Obviously, it's a Joker ripoff for the performance, but in terms of like the Jokers that had come before at this point, it's mostly le- derived from Nicholson, I think, rather than Ledger.
1: Absolutely. Would it be, it would have been incredibly hilarious though, if they had this super fun, campy, like batman musical and then they inspired the villains off of like the grittiest interpretations of each of those but everything else is super fun and
0: light oh god it would be like (laughs) you want to know how i got these scars from eating too much sugar
1: these mars scars and then he pulls out. oh
0: god um it would be, well, side tangent, I am working my way through, um, Gotham Central right now because mm-hmm. it's something, like, people have said I need to read, but also, like, I'm slogging my way through it because it's very propaganda. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a storyline where, um, Two-Face gets involved and just ruins Renee Montoya's life. Um... And because he's madly in love with her. And I just read that last night and I was thinking about this and I was like, how much of a tonal shift would it be if this horrifying, threatening portrayal of Two-Face comes in and he's like, all right, you weenies, let's make this quick. (laughs) That would have been really good. All right, you weenie, I'm double parked. God. (laughs) I we have to talk about
1: Two-Face, I think. We simply do. It's like truly I think the best character
0: of the Rogues. Yeah. He's just so fun. I think so much of comes with the fact that nobody likes him. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got the goofiest like it's like a clay mold half face with a with like a googly eye on it. And He looks so funny, and he's got that voice, and he just makes puns all the time. And every time he makes a pun, there's a funky bass line, and it's so funny.
1: Every time is a thing, too. It's just, it really works on every level.
0: It works on every level. Transitioning to Chris Allen's other character, we should talk about Alfred. We definitely should, because Alfred is such a unique
1: character in this, in the way that he, like, doesn't talk to Bruce ever, in, except when he, like, wants to, like, eavesdrop in, like, in low, uh, Dark Lonely Night, where he's, like, singing to himself, being like, I'm sad, I don't have friends, and that's the point of the song, and Alfred's just kind of, like, eavesdropping in on it. Yeah. It's just, it's very good.
0: Um, Chris Allen's performance as, um, Alfred is very, it, if Joe Walker is only partially inspired by Christian Bale. Chris Allen leans fully into the Michael Caine, Alfred. Yes. It is, it is a direct Michael Caine impression. Um, I believe Chris Allen was originally going to play Sweet Tooth, but then everyone heard his Michael Caine impression and they just expanded the Alfred part for him.
1: Oh my god. Imagine doing an impression so well, they just, like, gave you the role on the spot, changed around the entire structure of the show to make you do it.
0: Um, that fact is, I believe, from a, a Wait in the Wings video, because I watched a lot of video essays to prep for this episode. Amazing. Um, but Alfred is, is one of those characters where, like, you see some piece of media... And you know that there's, like, one character who's off in their own world, separate from everyone else, and he works. And that is Alfred in this.
1: He really is. He's just kind of, like, doing his own thing the whole time. There's also some uh, questionable choices with um, some alter egos he takes on. here. Yeah, we
0: should probably mention, um... I will probably do a content warning for this, but, um... He Alfred does um at points portray other ethnic stereotypes.
1: Yeah, he plays an Irish butler named O'Malley. Um his name is O'Malley the Irish butler, and he like dresses up all Irish, but then the one that's like a little bit more a lot more demonstrably more concerning is Chuan Li, the Chinese butler.
0: So I bet you could assume
1: what a 2012 interpretation of that looks like.
0: Yeah, in 2012, and Even then, like, uh, it just makes, you know, it makes me disappointed that the cultural perceptions were still this in 2012. Right. And then I watched this in 2014 and thought this was okay.
1: Right. Uh,
0: But that is the one questionable thing that happens in this show. I think everything else works still. I think so much of this has aged very well when it comes to public perceptions of Batman. Yes. We should talk about Superman, right? Just thinking that, I was like,
1: I feel like we just have not talked about that at all. Superman is like a major portion of Superman this Superman is like the second antagonist of this. Which is such a fantastic dynamic to introduce, where it's like, Batman is like appreciated by Gotham and like Superman's jealous of that for some reason. Yeah. Um, and so they had like this like weird pissing contest going on throughout the entire show of like, well, who's the better one? I'm the bigger guy. And they have like this really charged song where it is just like them telling each other like, Oh, well I'm actually the manliest man sort of thing back and forth at one another. Um, and it is frankly, a pretty solid interpretation. I think, um, eat your heart out, uh, Zack Snyder.
0: Yeah, eat your heart out, Zack Snyder. This is the only antagonistic relationship between Bruce and Clark that I will tolerate. Because Literally. I, I actually like this one. Because I think, like, as we've been saying, the show reduces everyone to their basic character traits. And it makes both... Batman and Superman man children
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it works
1: I mean at its core is let me let me be a little bit of a liberal arts student for a moment at its core is this not a critique of patriarchal structures that those men are reinforcing at one another but like, this idea of, like, oh, I need to be hyper Oh, I need to be that. I'm gonna go one man, man, man versus man. We're so strong and we hate each other because we can't care about each other. Because that is not how it is to be... You can't have
0: friends if you're tough. Absolutely. Like, vulnerable. The traditional thing of, like, not opening yourself up as a masculine person. Yeah. Like, and not accepting people's help or friends or any of these things. Exactly. Like, th- it is a show at its core about toxic masculinity and, and, how that way, that, and how that drives people.
1: Exactly. And that's something that like I feel a lot of DC adaptations, uh, at least in film, aren't really touching. So I think it's Absolutely really interesting. Yeah, that, I don't think people, I think people, there'd be so many think pieces if anyone even like batted near this as a concept. Like I can just see the 20,000 essays that are like, this director ruined batman forever
0: and it's like 70 minutes about one scene that's that's genuinely why i don't think in this climate right now i don't think a bat family screen adaptation ever could work yeah because mainstream audiences don't want bruce wayne to open himself up
1: And that sucks because that is where he is the most interesting. And that's where he shines is when he's interacting with people and when he's able to have these like dynamic relationships with the kids, with his friends, with the justice league. Like that's where it really, he really shines as a character.
0: When he is a parental figure, I think he is at its, at his best.
1: I would agree. And not when he is like the, the, weird facsimile of like whatever the writer du jour is and their hatred of their own father like when someone's trying to work something out through Bruce I hate that but I think uh, he does like at its core have some pretty good like
0: parenting you know yeah but it and then the, and then you get things like Frank Miller all-star Batman and Robin where he calls Dick Grayson the arsler, locks him in the cave and makes, makes him eat rats and we don't like yeah, that. I, we don't like that.
1: Frank, Frank, are you okay? Like, what happened? Frank,
0: did you have to eat rats? Frank,
1: Frank. Frank, let's unpack this. Frank, give me a call.
0: Frank Miller, your Batman stuff will never be covered on this podcast. Sweeping
1: declaration.
0: You. Your Daredevil stuff? Yes. Your Batman? Batman? No. Never. I don't like Dark Knight Returns. I said it. I'll say it
1: say it i also just like i think it's fun the way that they interact with like there's no like clear justice league sort of thing but like the ending song is all about like all these characters coming together doing like you know you don't have to be alone you have all these friends and that's just like the core tenant of the musical is like yeah it's okay to have friends it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to care about one another and i think that's just like such a heartwarming wholesome note to end it on
0: because bringing this back to superman Superman is also lonely, extremely lonely at his core. And he mentions the Fortress of Solitude a lot, and it's used as, like, this sad place. It's lonely. They're all lonely. They're all lonely. sad. Green Lantern's lonely. Green Lantern's in this, everyone.
1: Yeah, and this is after the Green Lantern movie, so he's already a joke. Yeah.
0: But I think what Dylan Saunders does with Green Lantern here makes him incredibly deadpan and it works so well for uh, I assume this is Hal Jordan aka the Green Lantern with the most milquetoast personality. Real. And to make him just like a guy who is there and everyone like an, everyone's friend and he's just sort of like everyone's confidant and but he has his own things going on like it works. And it's a very deadpan take on Green Lantern when it comes to just his responses to Superman. And I love it.
1: He is almost like, like, I feel like in some ways he's kind of like a parallel of like a Robin to Batman in that sense of like yeah. Batman and Robin are like, in a way trying to like balance out one another in terms of like character character. Where, like, Batman's super sullen, Robin's super outgoing, and they, like, kind of balance each other well. I think that the inverse of that is, like, the Wario and Waluigi to that, if you will, is that uh, Superman is, like, super lonely and sad in the same way, but he's, like, more grumpy about it in a weird way. Um, And then Green Lantern is just, like, absorbing it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like Like a
1: soundboard for it.
0: And I have to say my favorite, one of my favorite lines in this entire thing is just, my ring is ringing. And what a, what a stupid line that just hits. It works. I
1: just obsessed with that depiction. Like Green Lantern was some of the earliest comics that I read growing up. Some of like the earliest memories I have of comics are Green Lantern comics. And yeah, you know, I think the ring, the the ring could ring.
0: Could ring. I like, I like the fun little detail that the ring can only make Heineken and Rolling Rock. (laughs) Right: I think that's really a really funny way to, to um, it's a really funny way to get around the fact that Green Lantern's whole power set is very special effects heavy, and they're doing that on a budget. It's very funny. So I really like thing, Yeah The only things he ever makes with his ring are like beer, green beers and limes.
1: things that are cheap and green, which I appreciate immensely.
0: Yeah. We should talk about the special effects, too, and how things are handled. Yes. Um, Superman's flying. Incredible. Just simple Would you care to describe what that looks like? So, a lot of it is your classic two feet on the ground, Superman in the pose... The top half is posing like he's flying, the classic Superman flying pose. But then at one point... They need Superman to do a dramatic fly in from the sky. So they have Jim Povolo, the strongest and tallest member of the cast in a in black sweatpants, black hoodie, carrying human twig Brian Holden onto the stage while Brian Holden just stands there in a flying pose.
1: I think more plays should do this. I think Peter Pan should do this. I think Mary Poppins should do this. I think we should lean into this more as like a culture in theater.
0: I, uh, theater, theater spaces that don't have fly rails and wire work, um, it, that should not discourage you from doing pieces that involve flying. Just get big people to come in and carry your actors.
1: That's it. That's all you need. I also love just, like, they're really creative with how they portray, like, height differences. So the set itself has, like, a base ground and, like, a second-level stage behind it. So they're able to do really cool stuff with layering throughout the show. So, like, when they're in the sky, they're up on that second level. Or, like, they'll all be looking out towards the audience, and it's very clear they're looking at each other. It's it's very good use of layering, in my opinion.
0: Yes. Scenic design works really well. It's a very minimalist approach the entire theater space is transformed into like a cityscape but it there aren't a lot of actual set pieces there's a couple of cubes but that's really it
1: it's bare bones and that's also kind of maybe where my impression of it reminds me so much of like improv musical theater Um, like it's just that same sort of raw bare bones sort of thing. Light amount of props, light amount of the costuming is pretty minimalistic at points. Um, It. some of it is very clearly like what these people brought that they could wear. Yeah. Um, which I think is just like fantastic.
0: However, they do have a mascot suit at one point. That is true. They have a full ass penguin mascot suit in this musical. I want to know whose job had that. That's my question.
1: Probably the costume designer, right?
0: Yeah, like I don't think this was made for the show. Otherwise, where is it now? And can I have it?
1: So true. I bet it's at some like some Chicago costume rental location, and the where whoever had be. that, had no idea of its significance.
0: It's gotta be. You don't. You don't know that. A man dressed as a candy clown stabbed this penguin in the eye with a sucker. They wouldn't know. You don't get it. Wow. You don't know the history. The lore. Uh, what, what else? Um, it's a very quotable show. I, there have been quotes that have been burned in my brain since 2014 when I first saw this
1: distinctly remember trying to learn the handshake and like little like pizza nintendo woo go with one of my friends in that year as well um mm-hmm. like i remember learning the little choreography for it like it is very memorable also it's like very much there's like quotes from it that have been going pretty viral on tiktok that sort of thing like the i want to be a modern dancer what a super weird thing to say that came out of nowhere. Anyways, that part. Yeah. Was a TikTok
0: sound, everyone, from, like, yeah. last year, I think? Probably. I don't know. Trends die on TikTok. Trends come and die as quickly as they are introduced. The turnover
1: rate is, like, goddamn, like, fucking barnacles. It's so quick.
0: Exactly. Um, I say, uh, what's up, my dog, to people all the time. And so many people don't know what that's from. Okay, so Superman says this to Green Lantern at one point. You gotta understand, there's this musical. There's this musical. There's a musical where Superman pretends to be Snoop Dogg over the phone.
1: My god. the, The pop culture references
0: really carbon date this. It's very 2012. Like,
1: quintessential 2012. They might as well reference Call Me Maybe. I'm surprised they didn't. You know, that's a really good point. Maybe it was too on the nose. It was
0: too. I, I. Wait, when did that song get released? 2012. I remember it being huge late 2012. Oh, it wasn't released until September.
1: Oh, so This maybe isn't in a
0: pre Call Me Maybe world.
1: Whoa. I, I don't want to live
0: there. Yeah, I don't want to live in a pre Carly Lee Ray Jepson world. Oh, we haven't talked about one of the. Oh, yes. Um,. To date this movie, this is the year of the amazing Spider-Man. This is the year of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. But it is er- this is early 2012, so that hasn't come out yet. So it's fully All the early Star kid stuff, you can tell that they are fans of Raimi Spider-Man. Yes. And there are mul- there are multiple references in in this. Specifically the you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. But it's Always delivered in like a way that is not the original way from Spider-Man Two. It's specifically delivered like in a "You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us," and it, you think that they're gonna say something else, but it it doesn't get resolved. Uh, also, the it, citizens of the citizens of Gotham can't cheer,
1: right? Yeah, it's just, I, I one of my favorite Greek choruses in like any musical, to be honest with you, are the Citizens of Gotham. The Citizens of Gotham are
0: so fun.
1: They're so fun. They have such strong personalities. And it's like a combination. It's like there are moments where it's like, oh my god, that's Vicky Vale. Or, oh my god, those are like minor characters that are like somewhat recognizable. There's like pizza people who are pretty prominent throughout the show. <laughs> like, it's just, it's really fun use of background characters I think especially since they they have an arc of their own which is weird of like not liking robin and then liking robin which is yeah. really
0: unique. You you get the one you get the one Gotham Gothamite who constantly mistakes Superman for Captain Marvel. Um, That's
1: phenomenal. Yeah. That was a good goal.
0: We have to talk about Commissioner Gordon.
1: Oh my god. Oh my god. The performance of a fucking lifetime. Truly Lauren Lopez giving the performance of a goddamn lifetime. So, if you're familiar with any Star Kids stuff, the most prominent role you probably recognize her as is Draco Malfoy in a very Potter musical, which is just splendid. Yes. Truly, truly splendid. She puts everything into everything she's doing in all of these performances. As Commissioner Gordon, like every time she speaks, her like the mustache is about to fall off her face. Like, she, her whole face is moving. Her whole body is like quaking. And she, her, bi- her back is hunched. She has a giant trench coat on. It is um, just truly putting your whole body into it.
0: The biggest eyebrows, the biggest mustache, these huge senior citizen glasses.
1: And she's talking like this. That's so commissioner, Gordon. It's just, it's so good. Oh, peaches. Truly the, like, Emmy Award. If there's one character, like, I think everyone did a knockout job. I just think that she killed it.
0: Um, constantly making references that Commissioner Gordon might be Mark Twain.
1: Yeah. Delightful. Also, if you haven't heard this musical, like, music-wise, a lot of it is available on, like, streaming platforms. And you should definitely listen to the music, too. Like, even outside of watching it. It's just, like, they're really catchy and fun to listen to.
0: I'd also recommend the live medley version from the Starkid 10-year reunion concert. Yes. Which features uh, Nick Gage, who wrote the music, doing the opening song. And it's beautiful, and they gave him an echo mic.
1: It's so good. Guys, go go watch this musical. Like, truly, closing statements here, I think that what makes this musical so dynamic and so interesting and fun is that it takes these tropes and perceptions of superheroes, waters them down to, like, their base understanding of it, and talks about how, well, actually, these people are all just, like, super lonely at their core and need one another to support one another. And if that's not, like, the most human experience that you can get... And again, I can't stress enough, this is a musical where Barack Obama shows up in the later act to, like... Send out Superman. Like, it's it's truly just, like, so stupid and so silly. But it's, like, just really human
0: and really lovable. It is a distillation of why superheroes and comic books in all their goofiness and campiness and silliness are cool and should be appreciated. And also, at one point, the sun is wearing sunglasses.
1: and Who doesn't need that? Everyone needs a little sunshine wearing some sunglasses. You know what at, I mean? At,
0: at, at another point... And it borrows the ending plot point of the Christopher Reeve Superman. It does the fly around the Earth and go back in time thing. I totally forgot about that. Yes, there's time travel in this. Flashpoint, eat your heart out. Flash... God. Now, um, before we... I, I should also mention... Um, We've mentioned a couple of times the comparisons to the Lego Batman movie. Um, I feel, again, this is one of those Batman portrayals where, a lot like Will Arnett's, this Batman is never Bruce Wayne. This is only Batman. Hmm. Because both lean into man-child Batman in very Hmm. much similar ways, but really tell their own stories with it.
1: Exactly. This one is a lot more about, like, his solitude and loneliness. The other one is more about, like, I don't know, it's almost, like, about maturing, I'd say. I, we yeah. could definitely have a whole episode about Lego Batman. We
0: will, we will talk about the Lego Batman movie eventually. Good. Um, moving on to what I was saying, um, with Cast the Comic, rather than casting a film adaptation of this, um, I would propose a Broadway revival. Holy shit. But, you ask, Jackson, who's gonna play Batman? Well, who's playing Batman right now? Mr. Robert Pattinson. Holy shit. So what I'm proposing is a Broadway revival of this with Robert Pattinson stepping in for Joe Walker and getting big name Broadway actors to play everyone else.
1: Oh my God. Can we get Hugh Jackman on?
0: Hugh Jackman is your Superman. Ooh, wait, that's like really good. Yep. Um, Hugh Jackman's your Superman. Um, your sweet tooth, uh, Christian Borle. Amazing choice. Um, Robin, Aaron Tveit. I was going to say Aaron Tveit or Andrew Keenan-Bolger. Ooh, wait, I like Andrew a lot better. What we're saying is, um, cast this show with Broadway actors, um, Lainey, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? What a very
1: good question. Um, I'm going to plug today. I don't have anything big to, like, say you should go do this, you should go do that, or, like, go buy- Sorry to
0: interrupt. Uh, keep going. I need to go look for a prop. I'm sorry. I'll be right back.
1: Take your time. I don't really have anything to plug today, particularly in terms of things. You can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is at Rocks with an X. I sometimes tweet things that I think are funny. Um, my recommendation for you today is that you should go listen to another podcast uh, called Hey Riddle Riddle. I think it's very good and it's very funny and it makes me laugh and it's good riddles for the Riddler. <laughs> that's my recommend. That's my- what I want to plug today.
0: Um. Thank you all for listening. Um. I gotta go to the duplex to catch a double feature. So I'll see you all on the flip side. Oh shit! My coin. Uh. That's okay. Every- that's okay, everyone. Cause I always carry uh two. Bye everybody. Goodbye everyone. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman's theme music was written by Charlotte Rosenthal. Recommended reading with Jackson Heyman is produced by Mythonomica Productions. Thank you for listening.